Hello, this is your host, Jennifer Baker, and welcome to the Human Brain Project podcast, where we talk to the scientists and researchers that have dedicated their lives to solving the mysteries of the human brain. We discover the humans behind the science and find out how tomorrow's discoveries will be shaped. Arlene Salas is a senior researcher in philosophy at the Centre for Research Ethics and Bioethics at Uppsala University. We'll be talking about ethics and the impact that neuroscientific research and emerging neurotechnologies could have on human society. Thanks for joining us. So Arlene, perhaps you could begin by setting the tone and setting the scene for our audience with explaining a little bit about what it is you're working on. Uh, In fact, what I'm doing at present is research on neuroethics, uh, which is a field that has been systematically exploring the ethical, legal, philosophical, social implications of advances in brain science and brain technology. Neuroethics emerged as a response to advances that have enabled human beings to further their understanding of the brain, increase their ability to interpret it, and even intervene on it, uh, while at the same time, posing some ethical and societal questions. So uh, sometimes those questions may be taken to be unique uh, because the organized state is the brain. At other times, we're not talking about unique issues, but rather issues that could be um, exacerbated by by neuroscientific research and uh, neurotechnologies. But that is the main area that I'm focusing on at present. And you mentioned technologies there. Is now, uh, in the the, the recent years, a particularly important time to be looking at the ethical aspect? I'm thinking of things about new ways of using AI or machine learning and whether that's having an ethical implication on the field. Yes, of course. Um, The thing is, what is important, I think, to to consider when it comes to these issues is that uh, many of these neurotechnologies entail intervening in the brain uh, and... uh, They are very promising. Consider brain-computer interfaces, for example. They are remarkably promising to alleviate suffering, promote wellness. They can restore movement. They can restore communication abilities. They can give independence to patients who have suffered some uh, injuries or stroke. Uh, There are cases of of people who who have what is known as intractable depression uh, who might be helped by by a brain-computer interface. Uh, So, as I said, they're highly promising, but on the other hand, they raise some fundamental issues. Uh, Many of those issues are, we could even say, philosophical in nature. What is to be human? Do brain interventions alter our identity? Could a brain intervention uh, alter uh, a person's capacity to make decisions? And what would this mean? And how can we ethically assess this? It seems to be the case that we are in very special time at present because a number of neurotechnologies are being developed, which, as I said, promise to be highly beneficial, but they do have implications that need to be addressed. Um, Neuroethicists have been quite good at engaging with other neuroethicists and at engaging with neuroscientists. They have not done enough until probably now when it comes to engaging with the private sector and those people who are in charge of putting many of those technologies in the hands of 
consumers. So this is something that is beginning to be done systematically. It's, I think it's a welcome change and it promises this uh, joint uh, reflection on the issues uh, promises to, to be increased as, as we continue. But it's certainly something that is needed. Well, you mentioned communication with other scientists. You mentioned communication with the private sector. Does your role involve any interaction with the public? Because presumably ethics are taking into account a, a whole social environment. And a lot of these things, when we think about the brain, to a lot of lay people, it's quite scary and a little bit concerning and almost philosophical, as you said. This is a really great question. Uh, and again, very timely as well. When it comes to engaging, um, we do need to engage with diverse publics. And uh, some work that I've been doing uh, with, with a number of neuroethicists uh, in the last few years is precisely try to figure out what is the best type of neuroethics engagement. Now, when it comes to neuroethics engagement, we first, I should first note that neuroethics is a fairly new discipline. Uh, it officially, let's say, it starts in, in 2002, big conference in San Francisco organized by the Dana Foundation. And that's when the term neuroethics is used to refer to a discipline that is going to focus on the ethical issues and societal issues raised by brain research and so on. So it's a fairly a recent field. We're talking about 20 years. And it could be argued that, that there have been engagement attempts within neuroethics. And it is true that to a certain extent, we could say there have been a number of activities organized that try to communicate to the public what is being done within neuroethics and what are the ethical issues and why we should pay attention to those ethical issues. However, a number of, of uh, engagement experts by now uh, are a little bit reluctant to call that really meaningful engagement. Uh, they call that actually the deficit model of engagement, which is bidirectional. So it's a transfer of information from one group, let's say the expert group, to the public. When in fact, at present, uh, engagement is mostly seen as a, a type of activity that is uh, bidirectional, that entails having interaction and conversation with the publics in order to, with different publics, from more vulnerable populations such as patients to, to lay, lay citizens to, to policymakers. So, so we're talking about diverse publics who are going to be affected by these advances. So the idea is that the, the concerns, the worries, uh, the questions, the expectations that different uh, communities have should be taken into account even, even when shaping the scientific agenda. So uh, the notion of engagement that at present we're working on, specifically the notion of neuroethics engagement that we're trying to develop at present is one that, that takes as a starting point this richer understanding of engagement activities. And accordingly, what we're trying to do is create activities that will really uh, meaningfully engage diverse publics so we can really take advantage of what they have to say and, and listen to their voices, particularly taking into account that when we talk about potential implications, there's always going to be a certain degree of <laughs> uncertainty. 
Uh, so it is important to know where different publics stand when it comes to some of these issues and some of the developments and the potential impacts of those developments. Well, you mentioned that um, neuroethics is a relatively new field, a distinct field. Did you always expect to end up working in this area? Was there something about this sort of career that appealed to you? Tell me a bit about your pathway and your career journey to where you are today. Well, I am I am a trained as a philosopher, so I have a PhD in philosophy, and I was always very interested, inquisitive, and interested specifically on ethical behavior. Uh, what is a moral decision? What are the factors that contribute to making better moral decisions? How can a human being develop disposition to do the right thing? So I was always very interested in that. My area obviously was ethics. Uh, my dissertation topic actually was on the role of emotions in the moral life. What I wanted to say is that emotions play an important and often positive role. Now, after graduation, I started teaching bioethics, which uh, was a fantastic opportunity. And it allowed me to really focus uh, now on ethical decision making, specifically uh, in the area of medicine and biomedical research. And uh, that opened the door to uh, learning and uh, discussing from issues such as patient-physician relationship, research integrity, and so on. I never abandoned my interest in the emotions and, and the how of, let's say, morality. But um, bioethics gave me the opportunity to, to really be able to, to go deeper into a very hard and uh, since then, I have been uh, working on the integration of ethical and societal considerations with neuroscientific research and uh, brain technology. Well, you mentioned that you know, it's combining a lot of uh, key interests that you have. Was there anything in your childhood, or your characteristics or any of your family members involved in this sort of work? Or do you see any overlaps with your background and your upbringing? It's an interesting question. I don't think... It, it, you know, um, I, I am the only one in my family who has gone into the humanities specifically, but my dad is an engineer. I don't think that uh, this had to do with, with, with any kind of family influence, but rather, again, as I said before, I was always extremely inquisitive and, and very, very interested in all this messy business that is morality, what, what is to be good and what is to make a good decision and a moral decision. Importantly, I didn't want to be in an ivory tower. So to be able to, to do what I love to do, which is think about morality and think about good and bad, right and wrong, and be able to apply that kind of thinking and be able to work with others in order to determine how to better approach some of the issues raised by, by neuroscience and the advances of brain technology, um, that was a perfect fit. Well, I think this is a nice point to raise the question of how the Human Brain Project has been impacting your work or involving you with talking to other people. What has been the benefits of being involved? Well, in the Human Brain Project, I am part of a group of humanists and social scientists, and our goal or our task, let's say, is to implement what is uh, known as a responsible research and innovation framework uh, into the research. Uh, so uh, we have been working on this implementation of ethical and societal considerations from the beginning. 
One very important aspect of that is multi and interdisciplinarity. Not only have we in our group been working, for example, in my case, I come from the humanities, but uh, my colleagues, I have many colleagues from the social sciences. And that has been already a fantastic learning experience. But in addition to that, we are uh, working together with neuroscientists, with, with um, designers, and, and there is this opportunity to enrich our thinking because we are actually interacting and collaborating with others. And I take that to be one of the uh, most uh, amazing opportunities given by the project, which is to really be able to address the issues with uh, those who are doing the research and think together about how to find acceptable solutions to those issues. I am quite convinced that... Uh, those who do the research uh, are uh, uniquely situated to anticipate uh, and identify some of the ethical issues and societal issues raised by their research. So I see my job actually as helping to think uh, about those issues. I think that the capacities and the, the, the the abilities of researchers uh, in, in neuroscience and social and humans and the humanities are complementary. And uh, I think it's, it's important to understand to what extent interdisciplinary work enriches the discussion substantially. I think it's interesting because in, in some other aspects of, of uh, work, we hear about ethics by design. So, for example, with artificial intelligence or something like that, that ethics should be there from the beginning and not just bolted on when the time is some sort of product to bring to market. Is that how you view the work with the scientists that you're talking to? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think ethics should be taken to be an afterthought. It's not. I think that's that's a misconception to think that ethics is kind of an add-on later on when you have time or if you have the desire, you can kind of take a look at ethics and see how that would go. I think ethics is an integral part of research. Uh, and that means that ethics should be part of the scientific agenda from the very beginning. Science is not value neutral. Science uh, is very much uh, a social activity that is in different contexts, that you find in different contexts. And we cannot minimize the importance of understanding that, that scientific activities have impacts, and those impacts uh, need to be addressed, need to be, first of all, identified and then addressed. So I think that awareness of this is key. And um, one of the things I think we've been trying systematically to do from the beginning uh, of the Human Brain Project is precisely to promote or to instill this idea that ethics is not optional, ethics is part of the scientific enterprise and should be uh, consider seriously by everybody because it is it is a key aspect. And what does uh, success look like for you in your career? What would you say have been high points? Is there any goal you're particularly working towards in the future or anything that you would say, hooray, I've achieved something very specific? That's a very good question. And there's quite a bit of thinking around this because it's very difficult sometimes to think of success in the area of uh, the social sciences and the humanities, right? We can definitely talk about 
academic success, I suppose, uh, academic impact. So it would depend on, okay, where are uh, my papers published? What, what is the impact factor of the journals that, that publish my papers? How many times have they been downloaded? How many times have people cited uh, all metrics and so on? And, and to the extent that one can see that, well, indeed, there are a number of citations. And one can say, well, that's pretty successful. But again, we are within the domain of, of academia. And ultimately, the goal, at least my goal, is not academic success. The goal is really to um, change the culture, to have a, what we could call a culture of ethics. And in order to achieve a culture of ethics, we need researchers and we need stakeholders to have an understanding of ethics. We need them to have the capability to identify and address ethical issues. We need them to be willing to do so. And that is difficult to measure. How do you measure that? So what we have done, uh, for example, in the HPP, what we have done is try to identify what are the capabilities needed, let's say, and how can we help enhance those capabilities? And that is why, to a certain extent, we have tried to, to look at success in terms of how many people have we reached Societal outreach, you could say. How many people have we reached? How many um, engagement activities have we co have we coordinated? Uh, and what what are the topics that people are more enthusiastic about? And what have we done about that? And especially when it comes to researchers, uh, we have uh, we have undertaken a number of activities intended to educate researchers on responsible research and innovation. So this is something, again, we can measure. How many researchers have we trained? How many researchers are we really reaching when it comes to these issues? Uh, how many researchers today think of ethics uh, when, when they're doing their research? So, so again, that's your question is extremely difficult because, again, even some people would say that we shouldn't even talk in terms of um, quantifiable success, but but certainly is something that we give a lot of thought to, and it is very present in the international conversation on on neuroethics integration. How do we know that we have succeeded? What metrics are we going to use? So that is a still work in progress. So in a sense, it's more of a process or a journey rather than a destination. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, let's uh, rewind then to, to put you back in your own younger shoes at the beginning of your journey and your career. Is there any particular piece of advice you would give yourself or looking back at, at someone starting out in the field that you would say would be of benefit for them to remember or just give them encouragement and enthusiasm for the career? I think what I would say to my younger uh, self, let's say the person who just graduated, is I, at the time I had a very siloed understanding probably of, of research. And one thing, as I said before, that I have particularly appreciated and has been a high for me is the possibility to think together with a number of top thinkers and researchers. And uh, the advice that I would give today to my younger self is open up much earlier than I did. <laughs> so try to really seek uh, the, the, the insight, welcome the insights of 
everybody and try to and try to include them more systematically in your thinking. And and again, of course, each of us is very proud of our career, our profession and what we have done. And I'm, I, I do know that philosophy was my fit, as I said before, that I, I had to do that. But, uh, but I would say be a little bit more porous to a certain extent, be more open to working with others and writing with others from the very beginning, uh, which is something that in philosophy, uh, when I graduated, uh, was quite uncommon. And, and I think it is still quite uncommon within philosophy. But I think that, that there is something to be said about um, uh, getting together with people from different disciplines and, and working on projects and, and trying to solve issues that affect all of us. Be more porous. I like that. That's a lovely phrase. So what then are for you looking to the future? What are your next steps? What are you will be working on in the coming years? Um, anything that you're aiming for? I will continue working on neuroethics. As I said, I found my my place. <laughs> I will continue working on neuroethics. And I uh, have two main areas that I want to uh, focus on. Uh, within neuroethics, which actually I already mentioned to a certain extent. One is better integration practices. I think more needs to be done when it comes to integration uh, and uh, more creative ways to engage with diverse publics and better understanding of how the diverse publics can contribute to the discussion. So those those are the, the two areas that I will continue to, to work on. Well, life isn't all work, thankfully, and I've been asking all the scientists in this podcast series, what do you do for fun? What do you do to switch off or relax when you're not poring over your papers? I read a lot of fiction, and uh, I I also do puzzles, uh, so so that's something that can kind of for, for winter. I do like uh, going on hikes, get some, some, uh, some activity going, so that's something that I really love to do. Thank you. Well, that's very interesting. Um, I think that's pretty much covered everything that we were going to talk about today. Is there any last minute thoughts or anything about your work or or about uh, neuroethics in general that you wish the public knew, that you wish everybody knew? What's the one thing you wish people would take away? I think probably one of the things that I would like people to know is that ethics is not just compliance. It's not just complying with uh, legislation and it's not just following two, three, four ethical principles. That is important indeed. Compliance is important, but it's certainly not enough. Uh, Believing that ethics can be fully captured by compliance hinders really reflection, careful reflection on the issues. So I think that it is important to keep uh, that, that in mind. And the second thing, which I suppose is related, is that that careful reflection that I think we really need to engage in as, as a society, because ultimately we're talking about uh, the future uh, and how we're going to benefit humanity. So that careful reflection that we have to engage in, again, is not, is not an extra. It's not optional. We have to. As members of society, we have to be concerned with what kind of science are we embracing? What 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 are the the, the potential uh, implications of the science? How are we going to address them? Of course, I'm aware that there are some things we cannot predict, but I think we cannot excuse ourselves just by saying, "Oh well, some things we cannot predict." We we can still reflect and try to do some foresight. Uh, and I think that 
this is to a certain extent, I think that this is our obligation as members of society. Well, thank you very much, Arlene Salas. A lot of food for thought there. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Human Brain Project podcast. If so, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating. And most importantly, share with a friend. To learn more about the Human Brain Project, please visit humanbrainproject.eu and be sure to check out other episodes in this series packed with fascinating insight into how our minds work. Thanks for listening.